Welcome to His Story Podcast. Our special guest today is Pastor Carlos Acosta. I pray that this program is a blessing for you and hear Pastor Carlos' wonderful story, Jesus' story, through his life. God bless. Um, in West LA, that's where it happened that, you know, I became in contact with a gang, with the barrio in West Los Angeles. And so I... I was jumped into a gang. I accepted. Uh, I was. Uh, I became a gang member. Uh, it was 13 seconds when they courted me in. When they brought me in, 13 seconds. I had to fight with a couple of guys. It was two, three of them that I had to fight. found me in the streets of LA. He pulled me out from the gangs. That's where he found me from at. And now by God's grace, I'm serving him. And uh, my upbringing, Gio, my upbringing was, uh, I was born in East Los Angeles and I grew up there in the, in the Maravilla projects, which are some projects that, you know, for low income families, uh, both my parents, um, you know, they came from, um, they came from the from the you know the country the, the motherland out there Mexico and El Salvador, and they met here. They both uh, migrated, immigrated from from their countries at a young age. They met here, and I was born. And I grew up there in East Los Angeles, and a lot of my upbringing, uh, you know, it, it deals with a lot of what you just saw in the context of uh, in the context of the street, in the context of uh, of gangs and different things. Uh, it was not always like that, but that was part of my upbringing, part of my environment, uh, without a doubt. And um, that's, that's part of my story, Jill. You can give us a context of what period, what time period are we talking about when, when you're talking about your upbringing? Without revealing your age, of course, uh, um, you know, uh, um, what, 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 what time are we talking about? What time frame are we talking about? What we're talking about, uh, there was a big uh, movement of, uh, you know, immigrants back in uh, the middle 70s, late 80s, I'm sorry, early 80s. And um, that's where my, uh, my parents, you know, they, they came. My mom came through, uh, through the border and she crossed through uh, caskets, you know, that were made of, uh, you know, that were made for the, for the, for the dead. Uh, my dad, you know, he crossed the border. He's from the northern side of Mexico. Uh, my mom got out very uh, uh, way before the war started in San Salvador. And uh, my dad, well, you know, he just he was just seeking for a better life. Uh, that was my upbringing. Uh, my parents, you know, they they both had a simple life, simple jobs. Um, there was no, uh, you know, there was there was not that family environment that you could say that, you know, um, that they were there, you know, every day. No, they were just there for the weekends. 
um, because every day early in the morning they would go to work. Uh, my dad, he was a cook, uh, and my mom was a seamstress, and so that was our upbringing. You know, they 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 did the best. They came here to look for a better life for us. We were born here, and God is good. You know, they they brought us here, and when we were young, uh, we were reached by members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. They came by the house, they came by the neighborhood, and that was our first contact when they came by and they invited us uh, to go you know, to go visit the church. They brought us some food over, and that was the beginning of that contact, Gio, uh, right, right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Awesome, man, and so as, as, as you guys are coming into your family and your, your parents and uh, is coming into the church context now and, and talk to me a little bit about growing up now in the church in a sense or having this now newfound faith with your family and church life. What was that like? Well, you know, um, <clears throat> as my parents, um, as we moved a lot, Gio, we moved a lot, you know. Um, there was not a, uh, a lot of stability. Uh, we were first right there at the, uh, at the projects, and then we moved to different places. Um, when we came in contact with the church, we were now closer to the downtown area. And it's a very well-known area. It's, um, as many people have known, it's been on the news, you know, the MacArthur Park, which is a, a park. It was a beautiful park back in the days. Um, my parents, uh, we used to play there. Uh, my dad was a big fan of the Dodgers, and he used to like boxing. Uh, you know, he wanted me to be a boxer, and we used to go and train at the gyms. And um, one day, you know, I, I guess they killed a fighter, one of these boxers, and my mom, man, she, she really scolded him. And she told him, you know, that my, my son was not going to grow up to be a killer, you know. So my dad, he stopped that. My mom, she made contact with the church. Um you know, she made contact uh, way before, actually, uh, before I was born, as uh, she was, you know, she was uh, pregnant from me, and she was invited uh, first to go to church then, and then there was a second contact when we were now, you know, uh, little kids, youngsters, and we started going to the big church there in Central Central Spanish Church, which is in Los Angeles, right in the in the. Uh, and the Pico, Pico, uh, the Hoover district, the Pico, Pico area. And so for whoever's in LA, you know, you might know this. So we grew up right there. That was our neighborhood. And it, it, it was nice. And it was, it was, it was, it was pretty and everything else. But then, you know, the environment started, you know, we all come from a context, Jill, and the environment that was uh, prevailing now, uh, the war began in San Salvador. And as the war began, uh, many of these young kids, they, they started to come over. And so uh, that was another then environment that was happening. Uh, you know, the AIDS epidemic was going on, uh, drug addiction skyrocketed. And so, you know, the, the, the environment, it was going through a major crisis. And, and that was my upbringing. I, I remember it clearly as, uh, you know, as we were growing up and the church became like a safe haven for us, you know. But it's, um, I just want to say this to all the parents, it's not 100% guaranteed, you know, that your kids will turn out to be fine just because they go to church. But it is 100% for sure that your influence 
will be felt for the rest of their lives, okay? The influence of the church, the connections that are made at the church, that's 100% guarantee that it will influence in their lives. And so, Jill, uh, for us, for my family, uh, it, church was a safe haven as we, um, you know, as we were growing up in that environment. Awesome. And, and now, as you're growing up, you know, your, your, your families are, are, you know, your family is an immigrant family coming into the States, seeking opportunities, uh, you know, to, to get ahead, to, to, you know, to live. These opportunities sometimes are not there for them in, in, in their home countries. And so they're seeking a better place and they come here looking for that. And in that, I, I relate a lot to your story as well. Uh, a lot of similarities as far as uh, what we, you know, as far as the time and going through. I, I grew up in, I, I was born in the 80s and uh, I grew up in the 90s. So, you know, it's, I, I was, I remember as a kid seeing a lot of this stuff going on, a lot of, you know, immigration and, and things like that and, and the Hispanic family and what they go through and a tough time that they have to go through. Uh, dangerous as well, even putting their life in danger as, as far as, you know, trying to get a better life. All, all it is is just seeking a better life, but there are dangers in the sense that, you know, most of these people come over here and, they and, and you know, they bring their families or, or they start families here and they grow up in this environment. Uh, um, and, and, you know, I'm also a, a, a testament. I, I remember those clear, clear, clear days as, as growing up and and public school system and everything and and, and I, but but for in your case there was a there was a moment you know you're you're growing up in church or you're coming up even though like you said it's it's not a guarantee but the influence is important uh, um, your life took a shift uh, your foundation your your identity uh, started taking some twists and turns that that your life. Maybe I would say, unfortunately, it took some twists and turns. And talk to me a little bit about having your foundation just shaken up, your identity, and 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 what that led into. Well, Gio, you know, um, I, I grew up. Uh, I grew up hating two words. You know, I grew up hating a couple of things. That uh, number one, you know, uh, I grew up hating uh, the words la migra, immigration. And I grew up hating the word los papeles, the papers. And the reason I say this is because, you know, um, my mom, my dad had to sometimes move also from different jobs. Um, my mother's uh, job at the downtown L.A. in the warehouses, uh, she was getting raided by the uh, by, you know, they were getting raided by immigration. And I used to catch my mom sometimes coming over. And just telling me these these horror stories, you know, of, of how she just, you know, was 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 just trying to hide. And so she used to, you, you know, she used to lose jobs and she used to, um, you know, get other types of jobs. And for that reason, we also had to move. So we were in East L.A. We were there in um, in in the MacArthur Park area and then we moved again. And so. You know, it was just like that, the environment. And so um, one day, my parents, um, they decided to go because they heard that uh, the president of that time, Ronald Reagan, was going to give an amnesty. Now, I want to say this to everybody who, just so that you'd under, you understand the culture a little bit better. 
you know, uh, the Latinos, when the Hispanics, when they come from, you know, these countries, um, they are always desiring to go back. My parents always sent money and they built a house. They always talk about going back, going back, going back to Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala. But we who are born here, you know, we don't identify anymore any longer. We speak more English. We speak less Spanish. We like the tortillas and the whole thing. You know, we like uh, carne asada and everything else. But we don't identify back with our own parents. So it creates a crisis within the family. It creates a crisis within the, the same family is going through an identity crisis. Because my parents, they were always talking about, we're going to go back to El Salvador or back to Mexico. And I was always thinking, hey, no way, man. What are you talking about? This is where I live. This is my home right here. You right. know, I don't want to go over there. I don't want to go to Mexico. And so even though I'm, you know, brown, you know, a Latino, I speak perfect Spanish. And that's because, you know, my parents, they would prohibit us from speaking English at home. Because they, not because they didn't like it, but because they told us, listen, you speak enough English, at, at, you know, at school. You need to speak the language here because it will be better for you when you go to school, when you get a job. And that was the reason. So the environment, you know, I was always thinking about, man, one day we're probably going to go back to Mexico, man. My dad used to put us to read uh, La Opinión, which is a Spanish newspaper, and the LA Times, which is an English paper. I used to watch Oprah. My dad used to put Oprah for us, and I used to watch Cristina in Telemundo, all right? And so it was just back and forth, Univision and, you know, channel, and, and the Fox Channel, whatever it was. But one day my parents, they heard that the president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, was going to give them an amnesty. And they took us with them. We went back to Mexico. We went back to Mexico to my abuelita's house, my grandmother's house. My grandmother, she lives on the northern side of Mexico in Durango, right near the border of Sinaloa and Chihuahua. And this is what they call Triangulo de Oro, El Triangulo Dorado. It has become notorious today because of all the narcos, of all the narcs, you know, the, 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 all the drug wars that are going on. And so yeah. let me tell you, we went back to Mexico and I, I wasn't asked permission to go. Of course, you know, these are my parents. You don't ask, Latino parents are not going to ask you for permission, you know. They're going to say, <laughs> we're going to go, we're going to go. And so right. I, I, was, I was a little youngster. I was about 10 years old, nine years old. When I found out that I was no longer in the United States, that I was in Mexico, in Durango, at my grandmother's house, Pastor Gio, we traveled back, okay? This is a kid from East LA speaking more English because I grew up in Las Guarderias or, you know, in, 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 in daycare. Because my mother, my dad, you know, they had to go to work at four or five o'clock in the morning. I didn't see them till six, seven o'clock at night. And so we, I found out I was in Mexico now. I had, I, I, I spoke very little Spanish. And now I go back. I travel back at least 50 in time in the sense that there was no McDonald's. The, everything you ate, okay, you had to grow it. 
it was more of grazing and uh, livestock and, you know, and, and sowing and planting and sowing and, and so forth. And so that was the environment. So I go out there and I, I, I come into a crisis myself. They put me to school. I thought we we're just going to go for vacation. They put me in school to find out that I was going to stay, that my brothers and I, we were going to stay. Once again, I was 10 years old. My little brother was about eight years old. Uh, my little sisters, they were younger. They were about five, four years old. They were little kids, eh? And so we were out there, and I discovered that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell my dad, hey, let's go, you know, let, let's play some, some baseball, this and that. There's none of that. There's none of that. There's a river. There's cows. And, man, it's just different. And so one night I find out, Gio, that my parents are making a plan and their plan is to leave us. And I discover this. They were going to leave us. Nos iban a dejar. They were going to leave us in Mexico. And I find out this plan and I burst into the scene and crying, a 10-year-old boy. I'm telling him, what are you talking about? Don't leave me here. I don't want to stay in Mexico. And my mother's heart broke. She started crying. She hugged me. My dad started to cry as well. And he told me, listen, we're going to come back for you. We're going to go get the papeles. We're going to go get, you know, we're not going to run from La Migra anymore. And Gio, that was a terrible thing. Because they left us, man. They left us. And you have no idea how difficult that was. Because not only they left us there, four of us, but my other primos came, my cousins, you know. That's how we Mexicans, you know, Salvadorians, that's how we roll. And so they came. All my, you know, my uncles, my aunts, they brought their kids to my abuelita. My abuelita had zero tolerance policy. I do not recommend her to anyone unless you want to strain your kids out. My abuelita was so tough that she had to be because... She had eight, nine kids in the house. And now they left us. I saw my parents jumping on a bus, going back to the United States, paying a coyote so that they could come back, but I was going to stay behind. And that, Jill, changed my life because what happened during that moment, it was something very, very difficult. Um, just the environment itself was very, very hard. Um, so that's the crisis. That's the crisis for us Latinos that, you know, for the first, second generation, the first generation, they're always thinking about going back and they're going to go back maybe. And they probably will go back. They built their homes and they're probably going back. But us, we were born here. We're U.S. citizens. We identify ourselves right here and we, we, we love the United States, but yet we eat tortillas, you know, and pupusas. But you know what? I went back and it was a culture shock. Gio, I had to, there was right. no... No, you know, it was it was just very difficult. I had to um, go to school, learn Spanish. My abuelita, um, we used to come home and we used to have to feed the chickens and the cows at five o'clock in the morning. I asked, I had to go. I couldn't buy, I, 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 I couldn't go to a store and buy tortillas, you know, corn tortillas uh, from the from the local grocery store. No, they had to cook the 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 what they call the nixtamal, which is the the raw a corn, and I had to take it to El Molino, which at 4 o'clock in the morning, I had to go out there, 
and they had to put it, put it through a machine. And so the dough would come out, bring it to my abuelita. She would have to put it in her hands and then she would have to cook the tortillas. Everything was just like that. You want to eat, uh, there's no pollo loco over there. You have to kill the chicken. And I, I was taught how to kill them, okay? How to kill the gallina, how to cut the necks, you know? And then, and, and so it was the whole process. And in the summer, I had to go and uh, I had to go and, and sow. Uh, I had to plant the seed and then, you know, and I had to, I had to follow my uncle uh, with this thing that would open. It was called an arado, which is something that opens the land. And I had to take steps and I had to, you know, drop the seed and he would come back and he would cover it as I was behind him now on the new row being open and I had to plant the seed. That was the environment. That was the culture shock. A kid from East LA at 10 years old. Right. And as, as you were there, something happened. Uh, not only is it painful because you're away from your parents, you're watching your parents uh, move back into the States. You're told you're left there. You're told you're, they're going to come back for you. But something very painful happens as you are there as well. Talk to me a little bit about that, that pain and, 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 you know, it's, 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 it adds even more to the culture shock and the identity crisis that goes on in your life. And something begins to produce uh, something is something that's called anger. Uh, talk to me about how, how that anger came about. You know, um, unfortunately, because of the migration, you know, uh, la migra and los papeles that my parents wanted to solve and the president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, was going to give them. Um, as I stayed behind, you know, it was not the same. Growing up with my abuelita, she was so busy. There was not that relationship anymore. I used to read a letter. I used to take 30 days to get a month to get that letter to, uh, to Mexico, Durango, because that, uh, that's, how, that's how far behind we were in, in technology and everything else. As I was going to school, Gio, um, there was this, uh, there was this teacher and, uh, this teacher, you know, uh, she used to invite me, um, she took care of me. She was, you know, she showed interest in me, but before, you know, your mind starts wandering off everybody, uh, she, she discovered, uh, she hurt me. She destroyed my life. She told me a truth that I had not found out. She destroyed my identity completely as she said, she told me the truth that the man that I used to call my dad was not my dad. And that I was born out of, you know, my mom, she came out pregnant, she was a young lady. And that, uh, that my dad was not my dad and that he hated me. And he, she began to systematically destroy my identity. She destroyed my identity so much because of what she was sharing with me, my parents, you know, Latinos, we do not share those things. I had never seen any difference between the love that my parents gave me. My dad, you know, my dad, he later on, I found out, you know, he adopted me. He gave me his last name Man, he loved me, man. And so, but this lady, she destroyed me because she hated my family. She hated my mom, my dad. And so she destroyed me at 10 years old, 11 years old. Um, and so she changed my identity. She told me that they hated me and that I was different from my little brothers. 
And at 10 years old, you, you're a little child. You don't know how to process these things. You know, yeah. if my parents would have told me, I would have probably processed it way better. But it wasn't like that. And we Latinos, you know, we're, we're afraid sometimes of going to the psychologist, going to a therapist, which I am now. You know, I became yeah. a, a family therapist, you know, uh, a few years ago. And uh, I, I, I made it a point, you know, to tell the Latinos families, do not hide, do not have any secrets. And so what happened is that um, this lady destroyed me. She used to make me cry. She used to tell me that my dad did not love me. And Gio, that destroyed <laughs> You know, I, w- I used to wait for that bus. I don't know if you saw this movie, but you could just imagine a movie that goes back. I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think about a movie that shows a scene in a little town, in a little Mexican town. And you can see a kid waiting for a bus and waiting for some parents to come down that bus, Gio, because I wanted to talk to them. I wanted them. I wanted to run and hug them and just to find out, you know, to defend. I wanted them to defend me, to defend themselves. But they were not there, unfortunately. It's not their fault. It's just the environments that we grew up in. It's just the casualties of life that, you know, I don't know what your background is, whoever's looking at this live feed right now, but I'm going to tell you right here, right now, no matter what happened, no matter what nationality, what background you have, doesn't matter. But many of us were hurt when we were young at, you know, growing up, not because of our fault, but because we were just in the, in the wrong place at the wrong time. But God has a way of, of, of curing those 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 um those pains that hurt and Gio I I waited a couple of years and then finally you know I used to cry by myself I used to uh, and then I turned I used to uh, I got angry and because I, I I was tired of waiting for that that bus used to come and it, that bus used to come once every week and my parents were not on that bus for many 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 times and I used to cry, man, and I just wanted to go back. I used to tell myself, I used to tell my cousins, hey, you know what? Let's go back to L.A., man. Let's do this. Let's walk. Let's hitchhike. Let's do something. And, you know, uh, it didn't happen. It waited a couple of years. Right. And, and, and now as, as, as this is being, all, as all this is going on in your life, and you're just having this anger to deal with, this whole process of being separated from your family, then all of a sudden now you guys are back, and then you are you are all of a sudden you find yourself back in the states. And now talk to me a little bit about that situation there, and what happens as soon as you come back uh, to California and into the Los Angeles area. What happens uh, to you? Well, check it out. Um, you know that pain that this. Uh this lady caused, uh, it was an emotional pain. It was not physical pain or it was not, you know, any, any other kind of, uh, abuse, but it was an emotional abuse. She destroyed my identity. I turned, I became very angry. Um, uh, a 10 year old, an 11 year old, 12 year old does not know how to process psychologically a truth like that. It just explodes in his mind. Here's an immigrant kid, you know, not, not, not an immigrant kid. Here's a U.S. citizen in Mexico. Okay. Being dropped off over there, and now, you know, his life is just upside down. 
And so I, I became very angry. I began to fight. I, I, I used to feel some hot, hot, something hot, something just boiling inside of me. And I became very angry. I used to fight with the kids at school. And I remember um, I used to be violent. Uh, my grandmother, um, she, used to, uh, she used to try to calm me down by hitting me. And so at 10 years old, I was just trying to express that I was angry, that I wanted to get something off my chest, but I, 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 you know, I didn't know how, and they didn't know how either. So finally, Gio, my parents, they got the papeles, man. They got, they, La Migra was not gonna be a problem for, their, from, from, for them after that. We were sent to be, we were sent, they sent for us. Now we took that trip. From El Triangulo de Oro, man, over there, Durango, La Sierra Durango. We're going back home, okay? I'm going back home. I feel like, man, this is it. I'm so happy. I'm going back to L.A. I'm going back. And you know what? We get to Tijuana, and they instruct us, you know, hey, I forgot my English, Gio. My <laughs> grandmother was so tough on us, okay? So all this is building up, you know, for, for the foundations. This is just the foundations right here because yeah. – what I became was due because of some of these things that, that happened to me. But listen, yeah. we, came, we came back home. I, I forgot my English because my grandma prohibited now for us to speak English. And she used to whip us if we used to speak English over there. And so I go back. I come back. I see my parents. And I keep the secret. You know, I keep the secret. I'm so happy that I'm home. I can't wait to go for my first Dodgers game, which we did. We met Al Alfonso. I'm, I'm sorry. We met um, – uh, the pitcher, man, Valenzuela. Pedro yeah. And so, man, we meet him. I'm going back. We go back to East L.A. You know, now I'm living in West Los Angeles. My, my parents are no longer running from La Migra. And so we're back. I'm going to La Placita Alvera. You know, we're eating tacos and eating pupusas. I'm back home. So they enrolled me in the seventh grade. And in the seventh grade, uh, I still had you know, I was feeling that anger inside of me because psychologically I was damaged. And so that's when it happened. All that anger that I had kept, but I'm, you know, this is now I'm conscious about it over back in the days. I was not conscious. Okay. I was just moving because of my emotions. I'm going to make a, I'm going to clear this up for everybody because I did not belong to this gang, but it was my first contact. I became friends with the, with the young people who began to establish the well-known gang, MS-13, or Mara Salvatrucha. My, my contact was with them. Uh, I was looking for my identity at, you know, 12, 13 years old as I was going to the seventh grade now, 13, 14. I had just come back from Mexico you know, after being sent out there against my will. <laughs> and now <laughs> I go back and I'm trying to look for my identity. You know, I'm trying to now come back. I, I don't speak English, man. I'm a U.S. citizen. And now I have to take ESL classes and, and catch up to everything else. And, you know, that, that was very tough. That was very, very tough. But then it happened. As I was trying to look for my identity, trying to hang out, you know, with the different crowds, I was able to hang out with the crowd. I was invited to ditch school. And for the first time, I found myself right there on Hoover Street uh, between, you know, Vermont Avenue, Olympic, 
and all that area. And I remember very well a small little street where this gang began, Mara Salvatruce, was on Leeward Street, right there close to Vermont and Olympic. And I began to hang out with them. I, I, I never became part of their gang, but their influence, that's where I, what I took because I identified myself with the violence. I identified myself with the anger. I identified myself with the hate. These are kids, young people that are coming. They're fleeing the war, okay? They're not with their parents. And they're from El Salvador, and they're coming here. And these kids are, uh, uh, these kids are as well, they're, they're um, confused. They're, their identity, we're all going through an identity crisis, the 80s, the 90s. Were, was very crazy in regards to identity. It's always been crazy. Look at what's going on today, you know? Yeah. But check this out. As it happened, I, I was taken under their wing. My first crimes, my first use of drugs, my first crimes were with them. They were not established as a, as a gang as it is today. It was the beginning of them getting established. Their gang, you know, it was more into heavy metal and drugs and things like that. But then it evolved into what we know of the gang today, La Mara Salvatrucha. And that environment, that became my environment. But I want to make it clear, I was never part of that gang. But that was the seeds and all because I was hurt. I was vulnerable. At 13, 14 years old, a young person does still not know how to process a truth that they told him when he was 10 years old, 12 years old, 11. But now, you know, just the emotions. I wanted to be something. And the gang had a way of making you believe that you could be something, unfortunately. Now, my parents, where were they in all this? Well, they were there. They were still working very hard. They had the papeles now. But yeah. now, you know, they kept working. As a seamstress, my mother and my dad, you know, as a cook, as a dishwasher, they used to have two jobs. So we now we lived in the area of Koreatown. And then another shift came, you know, as the environment was changing, there was a lot of gangs, a lot, a lot of uh, the, the gangs were, were coming up very strong. There was a lot of taggers, et cetera, et cetera. And so we were riding on the freeways, on the Hollywood freeways, you know, just putting our names up there. And so it happened that we went through another shift, talking about another place to live. And so now we move, okay? We move again. And to the place where we moved um, in West L.A., that's where it happened that, you know, I became in contact with the gang, with the barrio in West Los Angeles. And so I, I was jumped into a gang. I accepted, uh, I, was, uh, I became a gang member. Uh, it was 13 seconds when they courted me in, when they brought me in. 13 seconds I had to fight with a couple of guys. It was two, three of them that I had to fight my parents saw my change, you know, as I was changing. I was cutting my hair now, just bald. And uh, my, my pants now were uh, Ben Davis or Dickies, you know, size um, 40s, 50s, 60s. And um, 
And now just everything, my demeanor and everything else was just changing so much. And that's where it happened, Jill. Uh, I became acquainted with the gangs. My beginnings mm -hmm. were with uh, this other major gang, but I joined another gang, which took me down a path. My parents couldn't stop me anymore, unfortunately. My parents were going to church. Now they began to go to church because they took them a while. They were out of the church for a while. And now they began to go to church as I began at 14, you know, began to go out on the streets. And it was very difficult for them now to stop me. And now my life had just completely changed in a crazy way. Wow. And, and so talk to me about your experience now uh, within the gang and, and being in there. Um, you said your parents were there. It's not like they were, they were completely absent out of your life. Um, but, but now you have, you know, you have all this anger build up. Uh, you're having these type of influences in your life. And, uh, um, I mean, where's, uh, is there any experiences that, uh, your family's going through, through this time? Uh, what, What's it, you know, what was your mother's reaction to all of this? You know, what can you tell us about that? Let me tell you, Jill, um, in regards to my parents, my parents did their best. Hard workers. Um, they were starting to go to church. They wanted a, a better life for us. And my dad, you know, he was a humble man. He is a humble man. He's still alive. We used to go pick up carton and uh, mm -hmm. we used to go pick up aluminum cans because he was saving money to buy a house. He wanted his children, you know, to become lawyers, doctors, something that back in Durango, el Triangulo de Oro over there in La Sierra, we couldn't be, never. That's why and he, he used to tell me, mijo, he used to say, that's what you say, son, you know, in Spanish, mijo. Um, my, your grandfather, he said, there's no more, there's no more education after sixth, after sixth grade. You're gonna, you're gonna work, they told him. But I don't want that for you, he said. I want you, mijo, to work, but I want you to go to school. I want you to be somebody. He used to take me to drive through community colleges and tell me, mijo, look, and, and used to have me read uh, English and Spanish and, and read books. My mom, the same thing, their influence was positive. But now what they were seeing, they couldn't understand the pain that I was going through, that I had gone through. But I, again, it's not like I'm, con I'm conscious about it right now. I wasn't conscious about it then. I was just angry. I was just an angry kid, you know, with, with, with conflicts and, and, and the pain that I was caused, you know, when I was a youngster. And so my parents, they try to sway me back into, you know, the good way. They be, their, church, their church became a refuge. I started going to church, of course. Their church became a refuge. It's become another extension of home. You know, Latinos, we love to go to church. We stay there all night. Come home at 12, 1 o'clock, you know, because we're hanging out, playing volleyball, soccer, and eating tamales and pupusas. And so right. that's just a beautiful environment of, of our church. But it was too late for them, you know. Um, I went out um, on the streets and my environment, man, um, I was just, I was this crazy kid out there on the streets. Um, I had to gain my respect on the streets. There's a lot of codes. 
Listen, there's, uh, I'm not here to glorify gangbanging. I'm not going to glorify it at all. I suggest, and I, you know, don't ever join a gang. Don't ever use drugs, okay? I'm not going to glorify it. But I will say that there are some elements that are very powerful, like brotherhood and, you know, connections and loyalty. Listen, I have friends that are now dead that gave their lives to protect us, okay? When we were at the park and a drive-by was happening, they would throw their bodies, okay, on top of us. I don't know if any church member would, would be able, if they came here in Anaheim, where I'm at, if they were to come here and, you know, try to kill me and shoot me, I don't know if they would throw themselves, you know, uh, before a bullet for me. I don't think so. Wow. But these guys did, okay? Joe, it was crazy. I was angry. I was hurt. Talk to, talk to me about one particular day um, where you came in and uh, your mother noticed something different on you. Um, my mom. My mom. Reaction. Yeah. You know, my mom, uh, she discovered that uh, I had tattoos. You know, when I got jumped in, um, there was two tattoos. There was a couple of tattoos that I got, and I would just want to show you, you know, this is my gang initiation tattoo, these three dots that I have right there. And uh, this is just a way of uh, saying, you know, that, hey, you were initiated. And now the code of the street, this is for life. You know, you go in, but you don't go, you don't, you don't go out. It's blood for blood. You know, it's, 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 it's loyalty to the core. Okay, the colors and you're going to defend your street and you're never going to rank down. You're not going to back down. You're going to defend it to the death. And so I had to prove myself. And I got these tattoos. I got some tattoos. I got some letters on back of my arms and on my forearm. I have a tattoo and my mother discovered them. And she she grabbed she grabbed me as I was sleeping. She grabbed me. And she took me to the restroom and she grabbed the bar of soap. Okay. And she started to wash away the tattoos and she was crying. And as she was just crying, I was just standing there, not caring, you know, and just saying, hey, mom, I'm sorry, but, you know, if I could get more, I could get more. And so that's what happened. And, Gio, um, just to, you know, uh, cut it a little bit short here for you, because I could extend myself. You know, sometimes I cut this testimony into five <laughs> pieces and I share it, you know, in a whole week, in a week of prayer. Uh, I, as I go episode by episode, you know? And so um, I'm going to cut it here. My mom one day, um, the forest lawn here in LA, they came and they bought, they sold my mom a lot, a cemetery lot where my mother, she bought a lot for me and for her. And I had my paper, I had my grave already because there was no gangbanger that would last up to 20 years old. Okay, the killings were so much. And I know because I was at the end of them. I was committing them, okay? And I remember two major influences back in the days, and if many of you guys know Father Greg Boyle, okay? Father Greg Boyle, which he's, you know, uh, uh, a very well-known priest who was out there on the streets, uh, Father Greg, and also another uh, gentleman by the name of Harry Bay, uh, who was out there working for the gangs and for the gangbangers. 
uh, Father Greg, as he tells in his stories, you know, Father G and the homeboys, they, we were burying, okay? He was burying church members, kids. I was burying my friends. And so death was certain going to come to me. I have a, a, a cousin who was killed, who was killed. We buried him. And so it was just like that. You know, it was not fun. It was violent. A lot of death. We used to go to funerals and shoot up other people's there while they were uh, uh, viewing their own son or daughter who had been killed in the gangs. And you know, it was just terrible. I was a monster, you know. I was I was bad. I was evil. And I just I'm here by God's grace. I am here talking to you to you guys because I am the result of my mother's and my father's prayers. I am here not because I did something, but it's because God did something in me as a result of my parents' prayers. They didn't give up. They suffered. They cried as I was going in and out of jail. As I was committing the worst of the worst. Gio, let me tell you, my parents' prayers were there all the time. If you're praying for a son or a daughter, listen, your prayers will reach your son. And if you have a son, if you are receiving your parents' prayers, they're telling you, you know, your mom, she's praying for you. Listen, watch out, man. God will be there. I used to come home and I used to tell my mom, you prayed for me today, right? My dad, they used to say yes. And I said, I know you prayed for me because God was there. God was there. I saw him protecting me. I saw his angels protecting me. Gio, it was just like that. And unfortunately, I'm not proud to say this, but that was the way that I used to live, hurting my own family and hurting many others. Right. Now, what do you, what can you say to those parents really spiritually inclined and uh, maybe whose kids have wandered off, have maybe once been in a situation and maybe not have gone out to an extreme of maybe going into gangs, but they're just out of church. And uh, what do you say to those parents that, that you know, are just in, in dire desperation for their kids, maybe to know about Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, uh, to come back to church? Um, what can you say to those parents uh, today as far as your, I mean, in your experience, you just mentioned, you know, your, your, your parents and your mother in particular had a lot to do with you returning back to church and her praying and being consistent and being committed uh, for that love that she had for you for, in prayer and in supplication. What can you tell those parents that are maybe going through something similar as, 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 your, as your mother did? The change will come. Don't give up. I was the worst of the worst. Okay. And if if the Lord reached me, he could reach anyone. Okay. Don't give up. I want to tell you that it happened. One night we did a drug deal and it was a drug deal gone bad. And uh, some of the uh, other gangsters, you know, gangbangers who try to take our, our, uh, our product as I was selling uh, uh, drugs on the streets. It was a drug deal gone bad. And we beat up and we thought that this, that this guy was dead. His car crashed and 
I mean, it was just, it was very bad. But we didn't know that he was still alive and that he would return with a gun to kill three of my friends. Jill, we saw the dead bodies there. And as I was looking at these dead bodies, Jill, I remember that I saw the parents picking up the bodies and, and covered with blood and a mother crying, screaming out of her lungs and saying, no, no, mijo, no. Just, and, 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 and the parents, you know, the, the, the dads, you know, they were crying too. But the mother's wailing. And I saw that. And I just imagined myself, it's like a vision. I saw that I was there, that my little brothers were there, that my mom was picking me up crying. And I sensed that God was telling me it's now or it's going to be you. Gio, those three deaths were our fault. And we had to take revenge for that. The next few months, it was crazy because we had to take the revenge. But in the middle of that, I felt a sense that I could no longer continue. My guilt was so much. Let me tell you that. The night I broke down, I was tired, and I took an overdose of drugs, speed. And as I was overdosing, you know, it was a Saturday morning. My parents had gone to church. My parents, you know, at a point, they decided not to fight with me anymore. So the last two years before I, the Lord found me there, they began to bless me, to pray for me instead of fighting with me. Don't fight with your kids. Don't tell them what they already know. Don't tell them, oh, you're a gangbanger. You're a drugger. You know, you drug yourself. You're a prostitute, this and that. Why are you doing that? Let me tell you, when you ask why are you doing that, we don't know. We don't know why we do it. Okay? Because I didn't know. Now I understand why I did it. And number two, don't repeat what they know because you're reinforcing the negative message. You know, well, my parents, someone taught them that. And my parents, for the last two years, they started treating me with a new identity. They began to lift up an identity in me that I didn't even believe it. My dad and my mom, they began to say, Carlos, God is calling you for something bigger and better. You, you are something different. God has a plan. You are a servant of God. God is calling you. He's not leaving you behind. He's after you. And Gio, my mom said, I dedicated you in the altar. I presented you. I did a baby dedication without your dad because I don't know my dad till this day. I know my stepfather, who I love very much. My real dad, I don't know who he is. But you know what? My mom introduced me to my real father, my dad, in heaven. And she said, and you, I dedicated you to be a servant of God, a minister, a pastor. And she started to say these things to me. And so that was, that was not reinforcing a negative message. I was, that now she was presenting me with a new identity. Now I was being treated. Now I was, I was receiving something, a vision in me that I couldn't even believe in myself. And Gio, my parents, yeah. they found me overdosed. And guess what? Um, they saved my life. And that week I broke down. I broke. My mom invited me to church, my dad too. And guess what? I went to church. And there at church, at Central Spanish Church on Hoover and Alvarado, that big church that Jim Jones used to have back then. 
But now that Seventh-day Adventist Church got, it was right there on a Friday night that I came into the church dressed up with my sticky size 60s, my Ben Davis or big shirt, you know, bald-headed, addicted to drugs. And the church, as I came in, I sat on the back. I, saw, I heard a message of Jesus Christ. And I experienced a touch from Jesus right there, which he called me. He called me to reconcile myself with him. I was in need. I had a need and he met it. My need. I had a lot of guilt. My conscience was killing me. And I wanted to die. But then and there, there's this gangbanging. Right then and there, had an encounter. The Lord found me and he showed me grace. And you know what grace is, Gio? Grace is God treating us like we have never sinned in our lives. Imagine how God treats us. That is not uh, consciously with people's minds and reasoning. They do not understand it. That's craziness. How is it can, that God can treat you like if you have never sinned before? Because of Jesus Christ, because he died for our sins. And when that was presented to me, this gang banker accepted it. And Jesus and I, we had a beautiful encounter that Friday night on Saturday morning. I was getting baptized. I was getting jumped in the barrio now, in the court. I was getting courted now in the barrio of Jesus Christ. And I gave my life to the Lord Jesus. And I've been here now walking with him all these years. Amen. Pastor, we got four minutes left. Yeah. And uh, we just yeah. want to who joined us on, on, on Union Springs website. It's, just, it's such a great story. We want to keep going. So we're going to have to have you back uh, one day and, and, you know, maybe give that a week of prayer online or something here to, uh, to the district and to the people here in upstate New York. Um, we got four minutes left. And I just kind of wanted to ask any final remarks as far as what is Jesus doing under your life? We've entitled this uh, section here, this uh, Saturday afternoon, Vespers, Under Construction. Mm. And uh, what do you say to those people that that are, are still maybe lost, that they, they don't have that hope? Maybe they think they've lost hope. I don't know. Maybe they're not finding it. Maybe they're not even finding it in, in their churches. What can you say to that person out there who is suffering, who is maybe going through the same uh, um, identity crisis, right. confusion, depression, and trying to find just somebody to say and put their arms around them and saying, hey, there, there is hope. There, there are homies for you. So, so what, what, what would you say to that person? Four minutes. Four minutes, man. I'm going to wrap it up, you know? Listen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I became a new person in Christ. In him, in him, just hide yourself. All things will become new. You become a new creation. Listen, God will turn, okay, your mess into your message. God will turn a test into your testimony. And God will turn your trial into a triumph. And God will turn you from a victim into a victor. Okay? I can tell you that because that's what he's done in my life. The mess that I was in, he turned it into my message. The test that I went through, the difficulties as a, you know, immigrant kid and my mom, my dad and everything else, you know, it became my testimony now as I, you know, my, 
my trials, my difficulties now have become my triumph. And in Jesus, I'm no longer a victim. I am a victor in Christ. I can do all things in Christ. So think about that. You are not what they tell you you are or whatever, what even you tell yourself that you are. You are what God says you are. And you are a son and a daughter of God with a plan for your life.